0: Okay, church, well, good morning, and yes, preschoolers are dismissed. Uh, Everyone else, please open up your your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, Back when when I worked at the hospital, uh, there was a well-known family in Indiana uh, that I had the opportunity to take care of. Now, uh, they were not famous for something good, Uh, Actually, they were well known at most hospitals in Indiana because of their thievery. They were excellent thieves. They liked to steal anything and everything they could from hospitals. Uh, Legend has it that they actually once tried to steal a baby grand piano from the Methodist lobby in the middle of the day. And this, is, and this is how they worked. Uh, typically, one of the older members of the family would check themselves into e- the ER with some sort of general vague complaint. And then, you know, while you're worried about them and trying to work on what's going on there, every 15 minutes, more family would show up to the hospital very concerned about the family member. Uh, but in reality, they were actually just there to steal everything that they could steal from the hospital. And so when I was new at the hospital, I, you know, I, I believed everyone I'd I'd come into the room, just ready to make a difference in the world and excited to be a part of these people's lives. And, and, uh, and they'd be like, Oh, thank goodness you're here. You know, we're so concerned about this family member here. Will you go on a walk with us down the hallway away from the room so we can share with you all the concerns that we have with them? And in my mind, I'm thinking like, wow, I am really connecting with this family. Uh, My bedside manner game must be strong today. They want to go on a walk with me away from the room, away from all the valuable things in the room, and talk to me about kind of their life journey and what they're all concerned about. And as we're walking away from the room, more and more family is showing up, and before you know it, the drawers are all cleaned out. There's nothing left on the walls. Uh, just things are missing and disappearing. We don't know where they went. And this, this happens a handful of times to the, to the point that now the hospital, we're starting to catch on as to what's going on. And so now anytime someone with that last name checks in, it's all of a sudden called a code. I won't share their last name, but code last name. And they were put then in a room where there was like nothing in the room. And so you just hoped that actually nothing serious was wrong with them because there was nothing in the room to try to help and, and care for them. And, and, and hospital you know, administration would be involved just really encouraging you not to admit them to the hospital because they were not sure if the hospital could survive 24 hours with this family having access uh, to the building. Well, anyway, I share that uh, for one, just so you guys have a heads up as to why healthcare costs are so expensive, Uh, but also because today we have arrived at the eighth commandment, the eighth good word from our father, you shall not steal. And I'm going to guess, or maybe I should say, I'm going to hope that you don't have a stealing issue like that family does, but all of us. Because we have been born in Adam's family line, we all have a propensity to sin, and we are all tempted to steal at times. This exists inside of us. We desire to take what is not ours or what the Lord has not yet provided for us. And why do we do this? There are several contributing reasons, several kind of secondary reasons why this happens. But the main underlying reason why we take things that are not ours is because we do not trust God to provide us what we need when we need it. That's the main reason why we steal. I mean, why do we steal? We could talk about it. I mean, sometimes we steal out of laziness, right? In school, if you have a big paper you know that's due and you're kind of lazy dragging your feet about it, well, now all of a sudden, now you're tempted to plagiarize. You're tempted to steal someone else's work in the end. Why do we steal? Sometimes it's a result of of coveting because we're coveting what someone else has. And we're going to talk about that in a couple commands when we get to the 10th commandment. Sometimes we steal because it's a way of revenge. I mean, maybe we feel like these taxes that are being imposed on us are unfair and the government is stealing from us and therefore we're going to fudge our taxes and steal back from them. So lots of secondary reasons why we steal, but the main underlying reason why we take things that are not ours is because we do not trust God to provide us what we need when we need it. And so we go outside of his will to take something that he has given to someone else because we think he should have given it to us. But church, the good news is that we have a heavenly father who owns everything. And he will provide us all what we need when we need it. And therefore, through Jesus Christ, we can now be freed from becoming stealers and instead now we can become stewards You see what I did there? Instead of being stealers or thieves, now we can be stewards of God's grace. And that is what he created us and redeemed us to be. And so that's where obedience to this command goes and takes us this morning. It's not just about not stealing. It's about how God frees us to now be good stewards. This is is his heart for us. And what you believe about God how you view him as your father, what you believe about his love and care for you, what you believe about how he meets our provisions, that will all directly affect whether you live like a thief or you live like a steward. And so let's pray, let's ask for the Lord's help that we might see this and believe this rightly. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are our good heavenly father who's given us some good words here in these 10 commandments Father, we thank you that in these good words, they, they, they reveal to us your heart. We thank you they expose in us the sin that still remains. We thank you that they lead us to, to Christ and that we might look to him and be freed from our sin. And then, Lord, we thank you that once freed by Christ, they now empower us and enable us to live freely and wisely as your children. And so help us, Lord, help us. This is initially a command that we maybe think doesn't really apply to us, and yet, and yet, God, it definitely does. So show us and teach us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. It's in Hebrew, it's even shorter, just like a lot of these commands are shorter. It's actually just two words, right? No stealing. No stealing. And so first, what do we learn about our Heavenly Father in this good word? Not to steal. Well, one thing we learn is that he values private property. Maybe that's not what first jumps out to you when you read this verse. But this has been understood by many theologians for a long time, that this command and how this command is applied throughout the law of God implies that God designed life to work best and to flourish best when people can have some degree of ownership and responsibility of things. I mean, think about it. If God wanted the state or the church to own everything, if God wanted everything to be communal, why give a command about stealing? Stealing isn't even a category if everything is meant to be communal. The fact that stealing is a thing means that God desires there to be some degree of personal ownership and responsibility of some things, and that is a good thing from the Lord. Throughout the law of God, God is concerned about all types of theft of property. Uh, We see in the law that he's even concerned about the boundary lines of private land. He's concerned about the boundary lines of land. And and, and he even gives his people in Leviticus 25 the Jubilee laws so that if a father was careless with the family land and he was a poor steward with it and he ended up losing it or selling it, there was this rhythm built into the will of God in the year of Jubilee that the land was to go back to the families so that even families who had squandered their possessions and land, they could still have an inheritance for their kids and grandkids. God cares about these sorts of things. In 1 Kings 21, we see an example of how God is not pleased when a civil leader, the wicked king Ahab, swoops in and takes Naboth's land. Naboth had refused to the, king, the king's offer to sell him this land that Ahab really wanted, and so Ahab has him killed, and he steals and takes his land. But we see in that story, God doesn't think that even a king has a right to anyone's Property, God values private property and ownership. This is how life works best. This is how God's mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and exercise dominion over every living thing over the earth to the glory of God. This is how it works best. The command to steal, not the the command not to steal, excuse me, implies that we would have to some degree some ownership and responsibility over some things. But we must also keep in mind that we do not have ultimate ownership of our possessions or our property. For God is the ultimate owner of everything. And so we must see in this command as well that God owns it all. Just a reminder, let me hit you with some verses real quick of what God had already told Moses just a chapter earlier in Exodus 19, verse 5, which we'll have up on the screen. He said, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. This is what God has just told Moses. And then we see this same truth in the Psalms Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Verse 12, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Then Paul to the Corinthians, quoting a different psalm, 1 Corinthians ten twenty-six: for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so let's try, to have a very, let's try to have a well-rounded biblical view of this. By God commanding his people not to steal, he's implying, one, that it's good that people have some degree of ownership and responsibility over things, and yet, two, he, that everything ultimately is his. So here we see that what we have is God's, and yet God has entrusted it to us to manage on his behalf. This is what biblical stewardship is. We recognize that God owns it all, and yet there are some things he has entrusted to us to manage and be responsible for and be accountable for. This is biblical stewardship. We have some things that we are responsible for, but they have been entrusted to us by God, and they are ultimately his. And therefore, we are not to steal something that God has entrusted to someone else. Do you see how then stealing really starts to break the will of God and that not only are you taking something that God didn't entrust to you, but now all of a sudden you're taking something that God entrusted to someone else. Stewards don't steal from one another because to do so is an act of not trusting God for what he has entrusted to you. And it's taking away from someone else what God has entrusted to them. And by stealing from one another, we break trust with one another. And this, is what, this isn't what God wants for us. God wants us to be able to trust one another. He does. I mean, can you imagine how much more life would flourish if we could trust one another? If people weren't stealing everything they could from hospitals or convenience stores if we didn't have to lock up our houses or our cars? I mean, can you imagine how much more productive for the kingdom you could be if you didn't have to spend most of your day changing your passwords and trying to prove to your computer that you're not the robot? You know what boxes have the streetlights in them, and you're, but I I don't get, like, couldn't a robot do that as well? I mean, I feel like if I'm trying to prove to my computer I'm not a robot, I want to share with them like how I felt on my wedding day or something like that, something a robot couldn't duplicate. But all, <laughs> I'm sorry, I yeah, I don't know why my mind thought about that. But do you guys have to prove that you're not a robot a lot? Okay, thank you, thank you, Gwenny. And it's all because we can't trust one another. It's all because we steal from one another. But that's not God's desire for us. God, life flourishes best when we can trust one another. And so when we steal from one another, we break that trust. And ultimately, when we steal, we show that we are not trusting God. Well, how do we do this? I mean, if you're not, if you're not in these, uh, these hospital heists, I mean, how else are we stealing from one another? Uh, the writers of the Heidelberg uh, Catechism, they have some helpful insight into this and in applying this good word uh, to all of us. And so uh, question 110 of the Heidelberg Catechism we'll have up on the screen. The question is, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? And they go on to answer it then uh, in, the, in the next slide. They go on to answer it and they say, God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, But also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures. The Bible has a lot to say about false weights and measures. We're not going to get to all those today. Deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury, which is lending money at unreasonably high interest rates. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right, In addition, God forbids all greed and the misuse and squandering of his gifts. Some of you that are really into economics and and finances and stuff like that, uh, you might look into, I I came across uh, a few uh, interesting places to read that Luther, both Luther and Calvin, felt like they should be actively involved in setting the interest rates uh, for their, their cities because they felt like it was a moral and theological component to that along with the economics. But anyway, we won't get into that. I just thought that was really interesting how this command could be applied throughout all of life. And so, yes, we, we break this command. I think we all know how we obviously break this command when we steal something that is not ours. But we also are breaking this commandment when we are deceptive with one another. When we deceive one another, when we're deceptive with someone in order to try to take advantage of them, when we, when we fudge the numbers in accounting or on our taxes, when we participate in companies that are false advertising, when we plagiarize someone else's work and don't give them credit, when we deceive our employers and steal time from them through squandering the day away, or if we're the employer, when we find ways to deceive or defraud our employees. James speaks to this in James 5.4. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. If you are an employee, you should not be deceiving your employer. And if you are an employer, you should not be deceiving or defrauding your employees. You see, we in our sin, we desire to break this command because we don't trust God to provide for us what we need when we need it. And therefore, in our unbelief, we feel like we must defraud and deceive to get what we can Because God can't be trusted. Now here's a a painting up on the screen. This is from 1936 by Leslie Thrasher that I think depicts what is going on in our hearts. What you'll notice there is that you've got a butcher pushing down on the scale at the same time as a woman who's buying the meat is pushing up on the scale. You see, this is what's going on in our hearts for most of us when we steal from one another. It's just a little bit of deception. And I imagine that both of them could probably justify it to themselves. I mean, the butcher could probably say, hey, this lady, she's got a real fancy hat on with some you know, decorations on it. I'm sure she's got plenty of money. My, you know, my business is struggling. I could use just a little bit of help here. I'm sure he's justifying it to himself. And I'm sure the woman is justifying it to herself as well. Hey, there's a line going out of the butcher shop. This butcher's doing fine. He's not going to miss a little, little extra money. Just, just a little bit of deception to get a little bit more. Now, unequal weights and unequal measures, it's humorous to us, but God's word says in Proverbs 20, verse 10, unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. And we do this sometimes even in our minds. Don't you sometimes weigh your intentions with other people's actions? Usually you come out on top in that, that weight. Those unequal scales that you have in your minds, you end up deceiving yourself, and then you end up stealing that person's reputation by slandering and gossiping about them to others and to yourself. The Apostle Paul then also applies this command to, to the stealing of people and to enslavement. This has a, a connection to, to slavery and how we view uh, about uh, God's desire or, or God's uh, will in accordance with slavery. So hopefully you're seeing Ten Commandments play out all throughout the Bible. But we see one example of it in First Timothy 1, 8 through 10, where Paul writes, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the holy and profane. And then he starts going through some commandments. For those who strike their fathers and mothers. You see the fifth commandment there? For murderers. You see the sixth commandment? The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality. You see the seventh commandment? And then here he gets to the eighth commandment, enslavers. That's how he applies this command. He says enslavers. Then we see the ninth commandment, liars and perjurers and then whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, 10th commandment, and beyond. Now, slavery back in Bible times at times looked different from slavery that took place in America. For example, people could put themselves into slavery or to be a bond bondservant, to, to pay off a debt for a certain amount of time. But God has always, throughout his word, shown to us his heart towards those who would steal people and enslave them. He said in Exodus 21, 16, just after these 10 good words, he says, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. And this is still a big part of the brokenness of our world, people stealing people and enslaving them. But then there's also this category we find in Scripture That's called stealing from God. We steal from God at times. And at times we steal time from God. Time is, is if not the most valuable, one of the most valuable resources that God gives us to steward well and we all too quickly waste it. When Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5, He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. We also steal from God when we misuse and we squander the gifts that God has given us. Like in Luke 19, we won't go there. But in the parable of the the ten minas, we take our gifts and we don't do anything with them. We've been unfaithful with the gifts that God has given us. We haven't at least invested them or made a profit off them. We haven't used them for his glory and for the good of his people. We've taken the gifts that he's given us and we've just squandered them or just misused them. And as a result, we've been stealing from God. We also steal from God when we hold back from giving him. The first fruits of our labors. In Malachi 3 verse 8, it says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Giving financially to the work of the Lord is absolutely a part of the worship of of God. But every month, isn't there a temptation to hold back from giving to God? I feel it at times. I feel it in those months where just finances are a little bit tighter. We've got a few more plans going on that month. Things just seem like they aren't going to work out number-wise, and you just start to, to hold on to things just a little bit tighter. What you had initially planned to give to the Lord, now all of a sudden you're starting to hold back from Him. You see, for some of you, your stealing problem actually looks like a giving problem. But it's the same problem. Now, for those of you who are, who are new, you, can, you are free to ask around and find out that we do not talk about giving financially to the church very often. This isn't a regular occurrence. I'm not going to take a love offering after this and pass the plates around. In fact, the main complaint we usually get from people is like, hey, hey, I want to give to the church. I don't know how to give, though. Where do you even collect the money? And so this isn't me trying to do a fundraising campaign, this isn't us trying to raise funds for something in general, but as you're searching the scripture, looking for all the texts where it talks about stealing, and then you come across this category of stealing from God, this is where it leads you. We steal from God when we hold back from giving, when we are stingy towards him and his work. And as a church, we have, we have taken lots of steps to ensure that funds are not stolen once they're placed in the offering box. I mean, Pastor Kevin and the finance team, they have all these different steps of accountability to make sure nothing's stolen once it's given. But we don't always do the best as a church as making sure, making sure the funds are not stolen before they're even put in the offering box. as we're all still holding on to these things that God has asked us to steward. And so are you stealing from God? When you are pressed with financial pressure and you feel the temptation to not trust God to provide, will you hold back? Will you get stingy? Will you, will you fall away from biblical stewardship and, and, and more try to cling to everything you have? You see, what is tempting us to steal is the same thing that is tempting us not to give. We are afraid there won't be enough for us at the end of the day. We don't really trust that God will provide for us what we need when we need it. And so your stealing problem presents itself often as a giving problem. And you need to see that it's really the same heart problem that this good word from our Father is addressing. Church, we are, we are a people who are prone to not trust God for our provisions, and therefore we take from Him and we take from others what is not ours to take. We hold back from giving what we should give. But hear this, church. The good news is that Jesus came to rescue thieves like you and me. You remember uh, from last week in the seventh command, no adultery. We learned from Revelation 19 about some names and titles of Jesus. We learned that he is called the faithful and the true. And we needed to remember that alongside the seventh command. Well, in a similar way, there's a name of God that we must be reminded of if we are to be rescued from our desire to take what God has not entrusted to us. And we are shown this name of God in Genesis chapter 22 when God calls Abraham to offer up Isaac. Abraham and Isaac, they get to Mount Moriah, the same place the temple mount would one day be constructed close by to Mount Golgotha. And Abraham binds Isaac. He's ready to obey God and sacrifice his son. And in the last moment, God says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear me. God didn't want Isaac's life. He wanted Abraham's heart. And then in Genesis 22, verse 13, it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham learned another name of God. It is the Hebrew name Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord, our provider. You see, one thing we learn about God through times of testing, through times where we might be tempted to steal or to hold back our giving, what we learn is that the Lord will provide. And this name Jehovah-Jireh, it is a name that literally means the Lord sees and the Lord will see to it. The Lord provides. The Lord sees, and the Lord will see to it. Someone might just need to hear that this morning, that the Lord sees, and the Lord will see to it. Where there is a need for God's people. Church, you have to believe this. Where there is a need for God's people, there is already a ram on its way to get caught in a thicket. If we would only by faith look to him. Do you believe that? How foolish it is to think that we can ultimately provide for ourselves. And how even more foolish and sinful it is when we think that we must steal to provide for ourselves. But the good news is that Jehovah Jireh saw beforehand what your stealing and deceiving and sinful heart was going to need even 2,000 years before you were born, and he sent his son to be offered up in your place alongside two thieves on either side of him. Who reviled him like the rest of the crowd was doing. However, one thief eventually comes to his senses and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And to which he responds, Today you will be with me in paradise. There is good news for thieves. Because, church, the Lord saw that in our sin, our hearts were prone to steal instead of steward, and he provided everything we needed and everything we will need through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, not only has our sin of stealing been paid for on the cross, but it is on the cross that we see the gracious generosity of our God, and it's the gracious generosity of our God that silences our desire to steal, and it frees us to instead steward what he has entrusted to us. And so now in Christ, thieves are freed to become stewards, because we are now stewards of God's grace. And we see Paul describe this transformation in Ephesians four twenty-eight. 28. Kess, I know I got a lot of scriptures for you today. You're doing great. Uh, we can leave this one up now for a while because we're going to dwell on this one for a, a while as we, as we uh, bring the sermon to a close. Because, see, Paul describes to the Ephesians what this transformation looks like from thieves to stewards, He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see, a good steward of God's grace works hard and works honestly. A good steward of God's grace who has been freed by Christ now works hard and works honestly honestly. Now, we got to keep this in mind. This is why we're reading the full Ten Commandments every Sunday we preach it. Uh, uh, Keep the Sabbath day in mind. Keep, Keep your time of rest in mind. But for most of the week, a good steward of God's grace works hard and works honestly. And as we work, we work that way, not ultimately for selfish goals, but so that we would have something to share with anyone in need. That takes some faith, though, to work hard, to work honestly. And then you got to trust God that he's going to provide and that he's going to provide for others through you as you share good things with those in need. You see, someone enslaved to the sin of stealing is really only thinking of their own needs. But someone who's been freed by Christ to steward can now primarily be thinking about the needs of others. Because they know and they believe that as they meet others' needs, that God is going to continue to meet theirs. They don't sit around and and they're not just lazy. They're not the sluggard that we see described in the Proverbs. No, they they work hard, but they work hard as ones who are ultimately trusting God is going to provide. Someone enslaved to the sin of stealing is is probably more enslaved to the idea of, of laziness. But someone who's been freed by Christ as steward can now be freed to work hard because they're also not working for themselves. They're they're working for others, that they might share the overabundance that they have with others. Someone enslaved to the sin of stealing is probably enslaved to deception, feeling like they always have to deceive and defraud others to take advantage of them. But someone who has been freed by Christ as steward can now be freed to work honestly, even if they get taken advantage of for the, in those times. Even if they don't get as good of a deal as they maybe could have gotten, but no, they're going to do it honestly. Someone enslaved to the sin of stealing, their, their life is all about taking, but someone who has been freed by Christ to steward can now be freed to be all about giving. This is when God knows like we'll experience the most joy in life, the most freedom in life, is not when we're all about taking, but when we're all about giving. And people will ask me, well, how much, how much does a good steward give? And how much does a good steward keep and save and invest and get, you know, all these different things? And listen, if, if you want to get into the details of that, Pastor Kevin, along with Tim and Seth, anyone on the finance team, they, they love to disciple people and shepherd people through that process to, to, to create a, a God-glorifying budget, and you can reach out to one of them and, and do that. But here, here's my simple advice on how much to give, to give, and that would be to keep giving until faith gets involved. Keep giving until faith gets involved. Like when you're lifting weights, the best way to lift is to uh, have a spotter and to go to the point of exhaustion where you've exhausted your strength and you have to rely on your spotter to help you finish the last couple of sets. That's my advice on giving. Giving. Because we all have a number that we feel very comfortable giving and faith never has to get involved at all. But then there's a number where you start to get a little uncomfortable about giving that amount. You start to get a little sweaty, starts to be hard to breathe a little bit when you think about it. And then there's a number that you give that faith has to get involved Give till your faith has to be involved. And I'm not just talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about to missions, to those in need, to the poor, to one another as needs arise. Give till your faith has to get involved. Because stewards of God's grace should feel free to give because they believe that they have a heavenly Father who loves them, who sees their needs, and who will see to their needs. And so therefore, stewards of God's grace are freed to work hard and to work honestly and then to live and give like they have a heavenly Father who loves to meet their needs. That's what I want for us. I want us to be freed to, to work hard and to work honestly and then to live and give with the joy and freedom of trusting that we have a heavenly Father who loves to meet our needs. And so, church, how I want you to consider now, ask the Spirit to search your heart. How are you stealing this morning? How have you been deceptive for selfish gain? Do you have an uneven scale in your mind? Anytime you weigh anything in your mind, you always come out on top. Have you squandered the time or the gifts that God has given you? Are you stealing from God in that way? You you haven't made best use of the time, haven't made best use of the gifts that God has given you? Have you held back from giving to what what you know God wants you to give to? Has your stealing problem shown itself really in a giving problem? Church, we have a heavenly father who loves us and who loves to take care of us, who owns it all. I mean, none of us are really used to having a dad like that. But that's the heavenly Father we have. He owns it all. And he sees us. And he will see to us. He he sees our needs even when no one else even knows that we have those needs. He sees those needs and he will see to those needs. It's, it's one of the names of the Lord that we, call, that we call upon, like we just sang. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. He sees, and he will see to our needs, and he gave himself for us, and by doing so, he gave us all things. We are stewards of God's grace, church. You and I deserved to be the thief next to Christ on a cross but God has been gracious to you and you have looked to Christ and he has rescued you. He's rescued you from stealing by providing you everything that you will ever need in him. And therefore, church, may we work hard, may we work honestly, and may we live and give like we have a father who takes care of us. Let's pray.